Thanks for downloading this IMSA radio podcast. podcast from the International Motorsports Association and Radio Show Limited. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced, or used in any form without permission. Live from Trackside, this is IMSA Radio. Hello everybody, I'm John Hindorf and welcome to a special programme here on RadioLamont.com as we look back at some of the great North American racing that we've had in 2015 under the auspices of the IMSA banner, the Tudor United Sports Car Championship uh, the final time that we can say those words because we're moving to a new sponsor next year and therefore it will be WeatherTech but let's look back on what happened in 2015 and 15 a really for me anyway at least a a really banner year of racing the good news is it's not just me wombling about this uh, for the program delighted to say that from racer.com that marshall pruitt will be joining us this evening hello marshall evening all always lovely to have your company and uh, we also have uh, the uh, delightful tones of shea adam from imza radio hello shea Hello, John, and hello, Marshall. All good, all good. Uh, let's uh, let's start off with a general overview of the championship. Uh, a championship, Marshall, that is beginning to find its feet. Uh, we probably couldn't have had this conversation 12 months ago, but we are going to talk pretty much solely about the racing in 2015, and that in itself is good news. If you're new to sports car racing, found IMSA in 2015 and began following from the Rolex 24 forward, I would imagine you're a fairly happy person because other than a little bit of a a few things, not many, but a few things that uh, caught our attention as maybe being uh, less than sporting albeit legal. The year was fantastic. The the foibles and issues that took place in 2014, again, uh, I didn't, although I didn't forget them, I had no reason to remember them throughout 2015. Mm. So, to your point, I look back at 2015 as a great season. That should be a launching pad for continued growth and improvement for the series. Uh, and share four classes. We've been uh, we've be- become accustomed to multiple class racing uh, in Europe and indeed I- in the US. IMSA have sort of embraced a similar look to their, I suppose you can call it a regional championship, much as the ELMS is a regional championship. It's a similar look to that. We have prototypes, we have prototype challenge, we have GT Le Mans, which roughly equates to GTE, and we have GTD. Bit of an odd fish last year. That will change for 2016. But all of the four categories have given us decent racing in 2015, and that's been the key to IMSA moving forward. It really has been. I mean, the biggest leg that the series has to stand on is that there was so much competition. There wasn't really a runaway in any of the classes in terms of people winning race after race 
except for the 9-11, but that came later in the season. That wasn't right off the bat as we had the year before. The number three Corvette won four in a row the year before and sort of just dominated the championship up until the end. So it was nice to have a variety, and that really played its part, especially in qualifying, because we were seeing people getting pole taken away from them by three thousandths of a second week after week. Marshall, how much does the fact that the calendar has now got a a fairly standard, a fairly, uh, if you will, uh, I suppose the the word that I'm looking for is, uh, it looks like a grounded calendar. The, The days of... Grand Am and IMSA, uh, uh, Grand Am and American Le Mans series rather, are long behind us. They talked about when the two series come together, getting the best of both. And when you have Daytona Sebring, Long Beach Mazda Raceway, Belle Isle Watkins Glen, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, Lime Rock, Road America, VIR Cota, Road Atlanta, that really has actually delivered what what was promised right at the beginning, hasn't it? I'm still pining for a return to Kansas in the uh, IMSA lights and PC cars <laughs> in the 90s. So he said with tongue firmly in cheek. Uh, uh, it's always in, firmly there. This is it's what in America continues to be referred to as date equity. I like uh, that. It's not the quality of the man or woman you're going out with at the, at the moment. It's uh, success in having stable dates. If it moves a week or two in one direction, okay. But for the most part, date equity, something where you know where to go at the end of January for the Rolex 24. You know mid-March is what you're looking for when it comes to Sebring. You know the first week of October is going to be Petit Le Mans, etc. That, to me, is fantastic. That's something to build off of once again. And I think another aspect as well is this, I think, is something that... IMSA needs to promote uh, to a higher degree. It's something that IndyCar, just to, to briefly look uh, to the other North American road racing series, it's something that IndyCar has really struggled with for many years, and they're just now getting to a point to where they could say, for the most part, where you should uh, point your airplane or, or point your car uh, throughout the year. IMSA's had that for a while. America Le Mans Series had it. Grand Am had it. So sports car does have something. It can tell its fans, bank on this year to year for the mm-hmm. most part, and you're going to find it. Another big part of, I think, the continued uh, growth and improvement of the series. Uh, the other side of the story on that as well, Shay, is that within those classic circuits that I've just mentioned, there is a variety, a variety in terms of which classes go where. We could probably spend two hours debating whether the right classes go to the right place at the right time of year, but we'll put that to one side. There's a variety of race lengths as well, which gives a little bit of a different look to the IMSA Championship as say the WEC or the ELMS. And within that, we've also got the North American Endurance Championship, the big classic longer races starting at Daytona Sebring at the start of the year, and then Watkins Glen for the six hours, and, and Road Atlanta. That's different, and I, can't, I really like that, because it promotes the variety that we've become used to. Oh, yeah, me too. And some people have said, you know, you're having your Super Bowl off the start in Daytona and then Sebring, well, where's the fun in that? I think that is where all the fun is, because that's where you get new fans. That's where people who... Mm-hmm. Maybe you're a casual fan, get hooked off the bat. 
they see a great race at Daytona and then they go to the 12 hours of Sebring and think, okay, this works. But as you said, it, it is more difficult because there is such a variety that not all the classes go to all the races. And looking at the calendar for next year, I'm very excited about some of the changes that they've made, uh, allowing more classes to go to some of the races. But from this year, I think it worked out really well. In all but one event, we had really, really solid racing with packed fields. And that one event, they've made the change for next year. So I'm really excited. Uh, let's start in GT Daytona. Uh, for the simple reason is I, I have the results uh, of that in front of me uh, at the moment. Uh, congratulations to Townsend Bell and Bill Swedler who took the championship barely at two points at the end of the season ahead of Christina Nielsen with Chris Harzer and Dion von Moltke in third position just a a further two points back. Marshall, this is exactly what we want of a GT category uh, where it literally went down to the last round. Everybody was talking about the battle between Christina Nielsen and the Aston Martin and uh, Chris Harzer and Dion von Molke in the Audi. And, ooh, spookily enough, whilst they were watching each other, Bill Swedler and Townsend Bell sneaked through for the victory in the Ferrari. Yeah, funny thing is, other than the Paul Miller racing team, at least as I saw it, you really struggled, or I should say GTD teams, uh, barring the PMR team, really struggled to step up at any point in 2015 and say, this is ours, we're taking it, stand back. Uh, If you look at Townsend and uh, Swedler, you know, the ninth place here, a ninth place there, a sixth there. Uh, they ha- obviously had the one win at VIR, but for the most part, uh, they did not dominate throughout the season. But what they did do was they had a good average across the entire championship. And again, in sports car racing, we know that that's obvious often the key to success i think uh, of the many of the four classes this year though it really was a case of in gtd the champions were crowned not through dominance but through best average and there were others who had maybe great success for uh, spout periods if you look at mario farnbacher and ian james for example winning sebring um and then coming and winning at Detroit as well. They also finished third at Laguna. If you were looking at you know the early portion of the season, boy, it looked like they were going to run away with it, but didn't. So there were folks that did have great uh, bouts, stretches. But uh, I'll tell you, I don't think that's a bad thing. I actually uh, quite like the fact, Heidi, that it wasn't boring or no one ran away with it. And, and for a lot of the time, Shea, we were watching Christina Nielsen. It was a great story. Kuno Whitmer jumped into the team partway through the season. No doubt had an effect on the team's performance and seemed to have an effect on Christina's performance. I felt she really came of age this year. I know that's a very cliched thing to say, but I've seen her racing for quite a long time. Started her... Uh, started her career in Middle Eastern Middle East Porsche Carrera Cup. Clearly was fast, needed to find consistency, and found it this year. She did, and it, it really, not to take anything away from her previous co-drivers, but it really flourished when she got Kuno in the car with her. And he played more of a mentor role. He was trying to help her win the championship, as Jonathan Bomarito did for him last year, which is still a a big can of worms. Um, But it was a very interesting shift. Her dynamic at the track completely changed. She went from 
being more I don't I don't even know the the way to describe it. She was more serious about what she was doing. She took things in a different light. And once she got on the podium, it was like that nothing was going to stop her from getting back there. And to um to Marshall's point a moment ago talking about the variety, you look at the results across the board for a team like the 23. If they hadn't had a DNF at Daytona the first race of the season, they would have been right there for the championship. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. Uh, and considering, Marshall, that GT Daytona is effectively the quote-unquote entry point to the IMSA series, the big show, there's some big names in there in terms of drivers and teams. When you're looking at uh, uh, TRG, Paul Miller Racing, certainly people like Alex Job and Magnus and Turner. These guys know how to run cars. Welcome, by the way, to people like 360 uh, this year who jumped in to the championship. But there's competition right the way through this category. Another aspect on that exact point, Heidi, is we know in a uh, class like GT Daytona and PC, where the rules are written to specifically pair pros with non-pros, we know that uh, the pros are going to be doing the most exciting things behind the wheel the majority of the time. One of the things I really enjoyed about uh, GTD this year, uh, even just in qualifying sessions, is when we would have the non-pro in the car, there were still some great battles, whether it's Patrick Lindsay claiming pole at, at Monterey or, or you know some of the great battles there. This, to me, uh, I I don't know if you two share the opinion, but we've I think last year there was maybe a, an over reliance or maybe greater output of quality from the pros in GTD. This year, I really came away massively impressed by the that reduced gap and how yes that might not be a pro in the car for his or her stint but uh they aren't that far away from from putting in pro like performances so as a whole i love gtd this year because there wasn't such a big drop off in performance when a driver change took place i really enjoyed most of the races from start to finish uh, I will be asking, by the way, for um, performance of the year or driver of the year, call it, it what you will, in all of the classes from year two. So get your thinking caps uh, on for that. We, we've said this before, Shea, in the Pro-Am classes, in the career and non-career driver classes, we've noticed in the WEC and the ELMS at Le Mans, we kind of expect the career drivers, the pro drivers, if you will, to be, if I said much of a muchness, that would sound um, rather dismissive. We expect them to almost cancel each other out. The difference is made by the drivers, very often, who aren't the big names, who aren't necessarily the guys taking the big books, more likely to be taking the big books in. And... This is not how it's always been in this category, and I like the way this is going. I, I would agree with that 100%. When you put someone like Pat Long behind the wheel of a Porsche, you can guarantee he's going to go quickly, mm. so there's no mystery there. Or Jerome mm. Bleak Mullen behind the wheel of the mm. Viper. It's when you put the Ben Keatings in uh, that it gets interesting. And Ben, I have to say, blew me away this year, starting with the win at Daytona. 
he just found something. And it was almost like um, another gear had the ups and downs, though. It, it wasn't a great season overall, but it is that mystery factor of putting the gentleman driver in. How good is your non-pro? Yeah. And we saw that flourish this year with Patrick Lindsay and Spencer Pompelli. We saw it with Dion Von Moltke, who is arguably a pro, but still held the title of non-pro in that car. We saw that with the two silvers in the 23. Not so much this year with Cooper McNeil and Lee Keen, but we know that's a potent force. And it is the fun aspect. How good is your non-pro? Yeah. And to me, that that is the biggest testament to continuing with the system that we have with some pros and some arms. Uh, it's, I know this is a... I've got a bee in my bonnet about... Uh, Endurance racing being the last bastion of quote-unquote gentleman drivers. Uh, and I, I hope it, it stays that way. In terms of variety of machinery, my goodness, Marshall, we couldn't have had anything better with Audi and Aston and Ferrari uh, amongst uh, BMWs and, uh, and Porsches. Porsche have have kind of not really embraced the GT3 side of things, although GTD... This year was, I think, the final time that Porsche could have been uh, somewhere near competitive without a full GT3 car. It's going to be all changed for 2016. But the nice thing is that we did have that variety of machinery and a variety of machinery racing. You alluded to the fact that not there wasn't a runaway winner there. Sometimes it would be an Audi, sometimes it would be an Aston Martin, sometimes it would just be who executed the best over the weekend. The only mark that I thought was very, uh, I don't know if I should say that, whether it was balance of strictly balance of performance that took them out, but the only mark in GT Daytona coming into 2015 that I thought was massively underrepresented throughout the season and the results was the defending championship winning uh, Turner Motorsport BMWs mm. Z4, and they did take a big hit for BOP. But despite that, if you look at the fact that we have Aston Martin, Audi, Ferrari, Viper, Porsche uh, taking the top five-ish in uh, points or those teams running those cars being up front. That, I think, in a balance of performance construct, which you know and everyone knows I hate, if you Mm -hmm. can achieve that, even in a BOP construct, that's what it should be. It's when you have things skewed so far in one favor where you get a little bit grumpy. So all that being said... Porsche, yes, final year of their uh, 911 GT America, which was built specifically for this class. Uh, that will go away. We should, we'll definitely see rejuvenation there. But take this to heart, Heidi, and, and I, I hope everyone else does. If you had any complaints about GTD 2015, whatever they may be, uh, you can look at the change coming for 2016, mm-hmm. and clearly new manufacturers, new teams have said this is the class you want to be a part of. If things were so bad this season, uh, I don't know if folks would be saying that. So uh, I'm really excited for where it's going, building off of what it just uh, what it just was. And that's a good point, actually, Marshall. It could have easily been a, a lame duck year this year with the transition that everybody knew was coming to GT3. It's been far from that, and we've seen the mix-and-match kind of balance of performance that IMSA have had to apply to cars that, frankly, have very different philosophies in their original construction uh, and what they went out to race. 
but it's worked. It did. And, and we were initially worried about people not wanting to buy a new car for one year. Yeah. That was a big issue back in, in January and even before that. And it turned out not to be a problem at all because people found that the cars that they did purchase would be useful in the future in other forms. And namely, Porsche was very upfront about that, saying GTD cars could easily be re-homologated to another form that you could race pretty much anywhere. So that was a huge um, grenade that we managed to avoid this year. And it's another reason why when people are saying, well, you know, I'm not sure if I want to buy this GT3 car, it's like, why not? (laughs) Um, if we look at the championship for the, the longer races as well, the championship within a championship, that marshal provided a little bit of extra spice. I I wasn't sure whether I, I was going to be able to get on board with that and how that might work for, uh, for the year. Um, but, you know, well done to Cameron Lawrence, uh, and Al Carter for winning that ahead of the overall championship winners, Town Bell, uh, Townsend Bell, and uh, Bill Swedler. It, it does just add something a, a little bit different because there has to be, doesn't there, a slightly different mindset in the 24, 12, 6, and 10 hour races that make up the, the longer race championship. It's greed, and I love it because that's what makes it about, 90. If you speak it's the American with... way. Excess is only the beginning. Oh, good Lord. We go to Le Mans. Trust me, I come across – you put anything up, any prize, uh, the fastest guy in lap three while eating a hot dog. Someone's going to try and win it. Uh, I, I always – I love uh, Action Express racing team manager Gary Nelson, obviously prototype class. But uh, he – look, they they pose the potential. Tequila Patron, North American Endurance Cup Championship for anyone to win in all four categories. And they treat that like a separate championship within a championship, place immense uh, value in it, and actually structure what they do to try and earn the points at the right time intervals in during those events when they're awarded. So uh, to your point, whether it's in GTD or any other class, yeah, A, I love the fact that there's prizes within prizes. I think there should be more. I don't mean a ridiculous amount, but as driver ratings have been a a popular discussion towards the end of the year here, <laughs> thoughts as to whether uh, you know, should we go, should we have the the Truman Aiken, you know, something that further honors the the non pro drivers in all classes. I mean, I, if there are things that people can strive for and go to, strive to win, I think for many of us. In whatever it is in life, whether it's your day job, the sport you play after work, something, as a, spe- as a species, we love goals, we love going after them and earning, uh, at least striving to earn what can be won. And to me, I don't necessarily follow the NAEC down to the minute at every ra- at every race where the word, the endurance races, I should say, but I do keep track of it. And I love the fact that others do find value in it. Now, if we're talking the old, you know, green challenge, which I think just became a mathematical nightmare that no one really followed. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's something that everyone just woke up in the morning, just deciding that they have to win that. But nonetheless, for the more easily attainable or, or easy to understand awards, I'm all for them. This is, a real, to me, a really good one. It, it, for me, Cher, I took interest in it probably Watkins Glen and afterwards. I, I, I knew it was happening 
at Daytona and Sebring, and, and we kind of talked about it on IMSA Radio, obviously. But it got serious after Watkins Glen when we realised in some respects that it was pretty much still up for grabs as everybody went after that to the final round of the season uh, at Road Atlanta. Yeah, and particularly in GTD, the question was, would the two guys leading it, being Al Carter and Cameron Lawrence, would they be back at Petit Le Mans to be able to claim the win? Yeah. Because they had such a gap over everyone else, but if they didn't show up, well, then it's a free-for-all. The guys who were in second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, even seventh, before Petit Le Mans had a chance to take the championship if Carter and Lawrence didn't show up. But then they did show up, and Lawrence took pole and made everyone else's lives a lot more difficult. Um, but it was a really exciting championship after that midseason hump, I agree. Because when you're in Daytona, you're not thinking about a championship already. You're thinking about winning a 24-hour race. Yeah. So there might need to be some change or alteration, like maybe make the, the halfway point at Daytona worth one more point than it would normally be, just to stir up the interest a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that, that's, that's very good. Very good. Uh, the... Depth of talent in terms of drivers was outstanding in GTD this year, and I think that definitely contributed uh, to the closeness of the racing. If I look down the uh, the driver standings, if we go all the way down to, hmm, let's say, Cooper McNeil in joint seventh position on 262 points, uh, he was only 21 points away from Townsend Bell and Bill Swedler, who won the championship. Uh, that just goes again to the point that Marshall you were making about how close it was across the season and and nobody dominating um I'm going to put you on the spot who who would you put up for your performance or or driver of the year in in GTD hmm there's a lot to choose from in fairness because there's a lot of big names in there and I think there was a lot of good drivers off the top spots as well. I'm going to throw one at you that uh, I, I will have to explain because there's no championship involved. Uh, I don't even think there was a win involved. Uh, so we know the quality of the pros, the, mm-hmm. the Towns and Bells, the Pompellis, the Lallies, etc. We know they're beasts. Uh, we know that there are some high quality uh, non-pros who definitely rose, uh, I think, really took a huge step up, Christina Nielsen being one we've covered. The driver who impressed me the most, not saying they're the most impressive, but to me, the one that impressed me the most in GT Daytona this year, Dion Von Molka. Yeah. Uh, that kid, not, not only did he snatch a bunch of poles, but I th- just listening to some of his radio uh, listening to him debrief with engineers, having seen the kid come into Grand Am a few years ago, being a little lightheaded uh, and maybe not uh, as as sharp uh, a tool as uh, I thought needed to be in the car, his transformation into a real pro caliber driver uh, that mass that was massively impressive for me and especially with a, a factory pro and christopher haas uh, as his teammate as a benchmark i think that kid really again just for me stood out as a true true serious player uh when i don't know if i held that high of an expectation for him coming into the year well and the other thing is that as a lot of people know we have a, a partnership with uh, with Audi in North America, and therefore we did quite a few dealer events. 
and his performance out of the car was just as impressive as it was in at those dealer events when he was interviewed, when he made himself available, uh, as he always does. And quite frankly, in terms of, of lap times, it was hard to tell sometimes whether it was Chris or Dion that was in the car. And I think that, with a driver of Christopher Haas's undoubted experience and his knowledge of that Audi R8, I think that's probably the the, the biggest compliment that we can give Dion. And the fact that he is still casting around for a, a drive at the moment is frankly beyond me. And I, I'd also quickly throw in a close number two. Only did one race, but very close. Ballast possum. Definitely <laughs> impressed me this year. Definitely <laughs> impressed me. Um, I, I'm going to throw in, before we go to, to share, I'm going to throw in Kuno Whitmer um, because of the, I think of the difference that he made to the whole team and to Christina Nielsen's attitude and driving ability uh, that, and the feedback that he was clearly giving the team in the second half of the season from what Watkins Glen uh, onwards. Um, I thought that he did an absolutely star job and he's been recognised for that and, and clearly has got himself a, a better gig for 2000, oh, sorry, a different gig for 2016 but has been recognised by the, the factory teams but uh, honourable mention um, would certainly go to uh, Ben Keating as well we know what Jerome Blakerall can do, uh, for me Ben Keating could just talk down the radio mic for the whole race for me he has just got a fantastic voice and accent and his next album should be massive Cher what about you in terms of, of standout performances drivers or teams who do you pick from GTD well I can't argue with Marshall about Dion and having gone to school with him Marshall I can confirm there there were some moments where he needed to uh, look at my papers to try and get some good grades um <laughs> <Good point. laughs> But uh, there are so many names that jump out. Um, definitely special mention to Patrick Lindsay. He did a phenomenal yes, job great. Uh, holding his own. And even at Petit Le Mans, I mean, Madison Snow didn't even get in the car, mm. which is phenomenal when you think about um, But for me, if, if Dion's already off the table, I would say Super Mario Farmbacher because of his drive at Sebring Good. and how much he matured this year. A kid who finished 10th in points the year before with only one podium. And he comes back to finish fourth. And as I said, if they didn't have that DNF at Daytona, which only gave them one point, whereas all their competitors walked away with close to 25 more when you look at the people around them in the championship, that really made the difference. But Mario really matured this year. He stepped up to the plate. And in the final moments of Sebring, when he was battling against Jerome, and it looked like it was going to be Jerome's to take and run away with, not giving up, that was really a turning point for me. Um, not the time now to talk about 2016. We'll reference that when we get round to our preview programme uh, for the 2016 season. But the mouth-watering prospect of full GT3 cars in GT Daytona next year is something uh, not to be passed up. Uh, an honourable mention here, by the way, all should also go to Bill Swedler and Townsend Bell. They won the championship. Um, I thought Bill Swedler and Townsend Bell make a very, very good team indeed. And the way Bill's driving has come on as well in the last year or 18 months uh, has been a massive plus point uh, to that team of drivers. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Special. We're looking at the 
Tudor United Sports Car Championship, the main IMSA Championship for 2015. We've looked at uh, GTD with Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com. Let's move to GT Le Mans now, uh, and Shea Adam is with us as well. GT Le Mans, lady and gentlemen, it's a bit of an anomaly, isn't it, within IMSA, Marshall, because it's the the not invented here championship that that IMSA have to have because that's where effectively most of the the factory money is. It, it is, however, perennially a place where we see great racing, and it didn't let us down this year either. Oh, Lord, no. It is the moneymaker. Let's be absolutely yes. clear. It's where the manufacturers come, spend great deals on their cars, their marketing, and with the series, and to help make TV possible. Uh, it is and has been often. I don't know if the two of you agree, but uh, there are some races this year where the GT Le Mans class was the race. To watch, There are other classes taking part in the event, but that's the one where my eyes were focused because they're just these Teutonic battles. There's also, uh, probably of the four classes, Heidi, I would say it's the one that stands out where, uh, I don't want to say imbalance, but there was one manufacturer that not only won the GT Le Mans championship, uh, but also pretty much ran the table the second half of the year. Not entirely their fault. I don't know if you can call winning a fault, but hmm. again, in this lovely BOP thing, which I won't rail against, but uh, it was the only class to me where one manufacturer really flexed its muscles and it showed in the final results. Nonetheless, we did have a bunch of great manufacturers win. Uh, I Yeah, tell me when we can have cut-down versions of only the GT Le Mans races after the broadcast is aired, and I will pay whatever it takes to watch those. Yeah, that that is very true. And, Shea, look at the quality here when you look down the drivers. This is one of the two full-pro classes uh, in IMSA, in the top IMSA championship, and with the exception of one or two drivers, we are talking absolutely top class pros as well and that's not by the way to be uh, to be nasty in any way shape or form to any of the others but when and I'm just going to pick people at random Augusto Farfus for BMW Patrick Long for Porsche Richard Leitz for Porsche Jens Klingman for BMW Fred Makovicki, Ryan Briscoe Earl Bamba, Nick Tandy Tommy Milner, Oliver Gavin Brian Sellers, Wolf Hensler Jörg Bergmeister Lucas Lur, Giancarlo Fisichella, Pierre Kaffer, Tonio Garcia, Jan Magnussen, and the list goes on. This <laughs> is this is remarkable. It is GT drivers' greatest hits, and what it's it's funny to me that people are surprised that this is the go-to class if nothing's happening up front that the TV almost defaults to this category. Of course they should. It's where the top stars are, isn't it? I'm sorry, was that a list of GTLM drivers or best drivers in the world that you were reading? There you go. Yes, exactly. I mean, these are the people that every driver wants to be. This is who you look up to. And yeah, F1 and all that, and we can get into that argument another day. But right now, it's about these guys who are the best GT drivers out there who are going head-to-head, mm. putting down lap times that are identical in some cases. Yes. We had it at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. Lucas Laura and Pierre Kaffer 
tied down to the thousandth in qualifying. Yeah, because that's so easy to do. One was in a BMW and one was in a Ferrari, but it still happens. I mean, there's there's so much drool that Billy, poor Billy, has to worry about the director for the IMSA series in the TV truck. How does he not focus on this class all the time? Because even if it's a battle for seventh, they're going to be going at each other like it's life or death. Mm. Uh, conspicuous by their absence for the most part of this season were Aston Martin. Um and missed, but with uh, Ferrari, Corvette, Porsche, with a couple of teams, including Falcon Tire, we'll talk about those in a moment, uh, and of course BMW with the final year of the ZZ4 Marshall. Again, we had the top cars, pretty much all of the top cars and manufacturers. This is by no means a poor man's version of WEC or ELMS, we saw good racing from the GT manufacturers. I kind of wish Aston Martin had been in for the whole year, but that that wasn't to be. I'm not sure. Yes, of course, the class, I was going to say I'm not sure the class suffered. It did suffer a little bit, but we still had great racing. And from a marketing point of view, Porsche beats BMW, Corvette, Ferrari... That's that's a headline. Completely. Good lord. This was uh the only dark spot I I felt was on the Gilmore class this year from a looking at it from a how would it be perfect standpoint. Mm-hmm. Obviously if we could have had Aston Martin the full season that'd have been great. We had them the first two, but the only thing that took away from being able to say this is the prototype, this is the model for all GT endurance racing, is Ferrari did not win this year. Granted, they had five podiums, <laughs> so it wasn't as if that it wasn't as if the the final season of the uh, 458 was the complete uh, you know letdown. They were on the podium for half the races, but they weren't able to break through for a win. But nonetheless, you had Porsches winning both factory and pro Corvettes winning BMWs. Uh, I think that's a pretty good, that's great. And I would say if you look to the WEC and they're, they're countering GTE pro, uh, boy, uh, the, the WEC I know looks to IMSA's GT Le Mans class with uh, quite a bit of longing because mm. it is fantastic. The quality is there. And ju- just look how the season played out, Heidi. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that it came out of the gates. Corvette just winning 36 hours. Yeah, and basically they they set their stall out super early with their win at, uh, at uh, Daytona uh, and uh, at Sebring. Those points that you get at the beginning of the season are uh, are absolutely uh, absolutely faultless. I th- sorry, I think we lost you just for a moment. You alluded, Marshall, to the second half of the season and 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 Porsche's advantage. The there is a I mean BOP, whichever way you look at it, BOP is is never a perfect solution. But we understand why we need to to have it. Um, the tyres played a massive part in 2015, and Michelin, other than the Team Falcon Tyre Porsche, uh, are on all of these cars. Um, a lot of people talking a lot of 
ill-advised things about balance of performance. The, the fact was that the change of tyres partway through the season and the fact that Porsche had a different set of tyres um, for the sec- for part of the second half of the season really benefited them and Ferrari. You, you mentioned Ferrari not winning. My goodness, they came very, very close. And that was on a different tyre from what they had had the rest of the year. It worked better for the mid- and rear-engined cars. 100% the case. And that's, again, if we're going to delve even deeper into balance of performance, we should ask beyond the numbers that IMSA manages, uh, this amount of weight, this restrictor size, in the one class where multiple tire manufacturers are allowed, we know that at least for next year, we're only expecting Michelin uh, to be involved, uh, at least on a full-time basis. But for 2015, with two different tire brands, uh, and also the fact that there were different tires between cars using Michelins, there were definitely advantages. So, should IMSA have been on top of that, listened to our friends at Corvette, for example, or BMW, saying, hey, this these new Michelins are awesome. Just not so much for us, but for uh, the the mid and rear engine. To your point, specifically the rear engine Porsches. Uh, again, it's a philosophical question. If you're going to manage, then I would say manage everything. Uh, we can definitely say that through no fault of IMSA, this wasn't their getting their sums incorrect through Michelin tire partner providing uh, different specs, or at least a spec that certainly benefited uh, certain types of cars under their fold or under their tent. Uh, you know. Uh, that's where the championship got away. Yeah. We, we could we could pretend it was something else, but it wasn't. Uh, it truly came down to wow. If you are in a rear engine Porsche on these Michelins, you're a really happy person. And then when we got to Petit Le Mans, uh, you talk about every single thing coming together to show why uh, open tire technology or open uh, non-spec tire uh, class rear engine. And Nick freaking Tandy uh, can produce <laughs> results that, you know, he just, you get down and you bow and say, wow, I don't know if we're going to see that again, but boy, that was incredible. Uh, and I would add, by the way, that IMSA are not alone in running BOP that does not take tyre technology into yep. consideration. As I am, I am not aware of any sanctioning body that uh, has tyre technology and tyre development, particularly tyre development was the word I wanted to use or the phrase I wanted to use, uh, taken into consideration for balance of performance. So let's, we are not criticising IMSA at all here. I certainly know Marshall isn't. And um, that it's no slight at all uh, on the technical team at IMSA, what we've just been, been talking about. The... End of the season with uh, the Porsche, the GT Le Mans Porsche winning overall at Petit uh, in terrible conditions, marginal conditions even to be able to race. Let's be honest, Shea, you were out and it getting wet. You saw the same issues at uh, Watkins Glen when, interestingly, Michelin came out with a GT tyre, which we'd never seen before. We've seen it in LMP1 in Europe and in the World Championship, but we'd not seen the slick intermediate, slick to mediate, or just black magic tyre uh, before on GT cars. Michelin were pushing hard in 2015, and credit Team Falcon Tyre for making them do that. But by the time we got to 
uh, Petit. I mean, really, with the way the field kept getting reset after the numerous safety cars, the GT car could have been several laps ahead had it not been for that. That was an extraordinary run. It truly was. It was the. We'll not see that again, will we? Oh no, no, not not in this lifetime. I mean, it would take uh, it would take another act of God like that rain coming down. In tremendous terms, but I don't think Continental's going to let that happen again. I think they are now the competitors to Michelin, even though it's a different class. They want to step back up and try and take the reins back so that it doesn't happen. But for Porsche, it was such a great climax to what was truly a fabulous season for them, but it started out pretty rough. You mm. think back to Daytona, the two cars hitting each other oh, and yeah. taking each other out. That was bad. Then at Sebring, they ran well. They did get pole, but then they had electrical issues with one car and pit issues with another where there was something with the hub coming off. Mm -hmm. It it just turned into a whole big ordeal. And then Long Beach, where we had on lap one, uh, I think it was Ricard Leitz had an incident with Oliver Gavin on the first turn. That sent that car several laps down. And then at Mazda Raceway, they were split because they only had three drivers for the two cars. So that in itself became a disadvantage to everybody else who was fresh and ready to go. It really started out terribly for Porsche. And I'm glad that things turned around in such a manner that they were able to take so many wins. But I think Marshall hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier. It's Nick freaking Tandy who (laughs) really changed the momentum of that team. Yes, I agree with that. But Patrick Pele is the champion. And we, you know, we shouldn't overlook his uh, his contribution for the for the whole year. All very well for Nick to jump in, um, particularly after his Le Mans win overall and and take the headlines. But Patrick Pelier takes the takes the championship. I, I just want to go back to tyres for a moment, MP, if I may, because um, I mentioned there how hard Michelin were trying this year. And, and I said, you've got to credit Team Falcon Tyre for that. And I genuinely meant that. Um, Michelin had had things their own way up until a few years ago. Falcon, with a very brave strategy to come into Michelin's backyard of GT racing and try and develop something with a single car team and have taken the fight to Michelin and have put, pushed Michelin forward to the point where they have used those slick intermediates this year, where they have felt the need to continue to develop a tyre because they've got competition. Sadly, we lose Derek Walker's team and the the 17 car, which has become such a a fan favourite. But let's not overlook what they've brought to the championship, not just this year, MP, uh, but in, in years past in terms of competitiveness on the track and that tyre war that has kept Michelin honest. Isn't that such a big part of sports car racing, and if not racing in general? Who doesn't love the anti-hero? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love the little team that's not supposed to win mm-hmm. against the big giant factory, whether it's tires or, or you know, the manufacturer, whatever it may be? Um, yeah, boy. Love the team, first of all. If you're fortunate enough as a fan, as a corner worker, official, whatever just to spend some time with the folks in that team. 
bunch of crazy bastards, and that's what I love. And you often don't get those that caliber of, of lunacy and fun and quality outside of sports car racing. There, there's as we know, uh, you have to. There has to be a few things wrong with your composition to really love and work within sports car racing. And they were some of the most delightful best at that. On top of that, wickedly talented, race winning. Uh, then you have the drivers who, whether it's Sellers, Wolf, whomever's been a part of that program, almost all have been just serious operators. And then the livery, come on. Classic. Uh, that's, I don't want to say I'm more sad about losing that, but, man, I think IMSA really needed to make, needs to make some sort of rule that says <laughs> someone has to run that livery, whether <laughs> money trades hands or not. But, yeah, uh, I I am not only sad for Derek and Phil Howard and the entire team um, for them having to go away, but uh, I am I am sad that we are going to miss that anti-hero, the underdog uh, among the big true uh, automotive factories fighting among each other for uh, the championship i hope we get that back i don't know if we will but uh, i hope we get someone that says all right let's do it and uh i will certainly be rooting for whomever that is we obviously we say goodbye to team fault entire wolf hensler uh, will find somewhere to go we know brian sellers has got work as well and we wish the rest of the team uh, the best uh, we also lose the bmw z4 uh, marshall um final year for that with Team RLL. A a little bit of an anomaly in itself to be replaced by another one with the the M6, which uh, again is a specific homologation for uh, IMSA uh, in the USA. Although we did finally uh, last year see the Z4 racing in GTE form uh, in the ELMS. Um, BMW continue to be um, uh, a, a bit of an outlier in the way that they go about their GTE or GT Le Mans style racing. Uh, you can't can't argue with the fact, though, that they have their fans, they come to the track, and for people who love BMW, my goodness, they really love BMW, don't they? The BMW, the Z4A, if we're rating pure quality of exhaust notes... Uh, wow, I'm going to miss the Z4, but as we know with BMW, what they're trying to achieve, I guess, at all points in time is to bring things that are new and that are compelling for their, uh, their rabid, uh, fan base, customer base, the twin turbo V8 M6, we know that it has an uphill battle, uh, just like the Z4, frankly, mm. uh, going through the same GT3 to GTE slash GTLM spec. Uh, was not particularly fast or mechanically happy during the November test. We would imagine a lot of those issues were will be ironed out by the time we get to the war because that's why you go test. So change a little bit in the big throaty roaring v8 uh, that we've become accustomed to but as someone who fell in love with the sound of uh, the inline six that preceded it yes. uh, i i don't know if folks are going to love this exhaust note as much it, it actually sounds a lot surprisingly like a uh, turbo four mm. uh, it, you can't really hear the eight you can definitely hear the four but it's new 
it is cool. And when you lift the hood on the thing and take a look, uh, that is, you need to stay, take five or ten minutes out of your day and just stare. Because there is some <laughs> genuine artistry. I mean it, honey. Yeah, they, yeah. You know, you, you pop the hood on a lot of race cars and go, all right, cool. This one, you look at it and go, wow. The, the folks truly enjoyed creating what is uh, in the engine bay. Definite challenge for IMSA, again, to take this GT3 spec car and convert it. But I think that is going, it should certainly retain the fan base. And I think it's also going to be something we're going to see a lot more of in the years to follow. Anything you hear that is naturally aspirated right now uh, in sports car racing is probably going to be a little bit quieter and have a, a couple of, uh, of hair dryer whistles going on yep. as turbocharging becomes more the norm. But to your point, uh, whatever it is, the BMW North America team. It's a fantastic job of getting their fans uh, and customers engaged. And if I just think back to the livery at Sebring this uh, year, Heine, awesome. honoring the 40th anniversary, I don't know what uh, whether it's Will Turner's GTD M6s or the uh, the factory BMW Team RLL uh, GTLM M6s are going to look like, but uh, I think our eyes will be happy. No, I'll agree with that. And Bill Oberlin and Dirk Werner, of course, coming second in the championship share by uh, a meagre 10 points to Patrick Pile uh, after Road Atlanta at the end of the season. Uh, another, what, uh, 10 points further back, Tony Garcia and Jan Magnussen. Another couple of points back, Giancarlo Fisichella and Pierre Caffer. No wins for Ferrari uh, among the major manufacturers. The only one that didn't get a win this year. They did everything but at various times. Uh, your choice then, Shea, for performance, driver, team, whatever, of the year in GTLM? Oh, it's a tough well, one. Everyone's going to go for Nick Tandy, so I'm not. I'm going to throw a curveball. Um, quick shout out to BMW. They did get eight podiums with that car this year, and three of those were wins. That's pretty admirable when you consider the competition this year. But my uh, my driver that really stood out would be Pierre Kaffer because yes. he never gave up. And as Marshall said, five podiums, that's huge. But they only twice out of ten events finished outside of the top five. And when you give the competition level that was racing in GTLM this year, that's mega. I mean, that's like winning a championship in itself. We need to make them a trophy, actually, and give them that as a little reward and say, congratulations, you guys really, really tried. The little team that could, no factory effort, and the guy who was always pushing as hard as he could was Pierre. So I'm, I'm going to give him the shout-out. And, and certainly, if it was the driver who makes Heindorf's head explode, more times than anyone else through his driving antics, then Pierre would be right up uh, among the top of that and still smiling and still every time I sit with him in Marion's having breakfast, have a chat with him, um, I I reminded him he's become one of the elder statesmen uh, of the paddock now, which I still think of him as a young driver, of course, and he's not. He's experienced. He is one of the elder statesmen and he talks a heck of a lot of sense, I'll be honest, and uh, I I really enjoy watching Pierre drive whatever it is. His Ferrari uh, driving this year was particularly entertaining. Uh, Marshall, GTLM, um, what stood out for you uh, this year? Nick, obviously, but he wasn't there full time, so I can't Correct. give him. Yeah, uh, I, agree. I can't give him all the accolades. I'll tell you the the driver who I think 
was probably the most underserved in terms of recognition of performance and holy cow that car you should not be able to do that with that car bill oberlin agreed yes agreed 93-year-old Bill Oberlin. <laughs> uh, good. I mean, wow. Bill, P, uh, P2, along with Dirk, and, and the, I'm not sliding Dirk by any means, but Bill has been doing this forever. It's, I mean, he's just one of those forever guys. There's no drop-off. And what I love about Bill, uh, among the many things, is there are few people you'll come across in the sports car paddock that are more fierce uh, competitors than Bill. Everyone competes hard. This guy, it just teeth cl- clenched, wants nothing more than to beat everyone and beat them badly. And that Z4 this year, it was in its element in a f- at a few tracks, but not many. Yet, good Lord, he and Dirk, not, again, did some pretty incredible things. And I would have to say, uh, on we know that the overall win by the Porsche North America team at Petit Le Mans, uh, amazing. Probably the standout result of the year from any of almost any class in IMSA. But what Bill and Dirk and the BMW RLL team did at Circuit of the Americas mm. in strategy uh, to pull, to take that away from the Porsche team, knowing and having that, that didn't happen in the last two laps when the Porsches pitted. It happened long before that when they realized yes. they could go into a fuel saving mode to uh, beat them, and it worked. That was brilliant. So well, big up to Bill and the team. Yeah, and another win at his home race of Long Beach. I think they gave him the keys uh, to uh, the city um, when. He won there the first time. I'm not sure. Is he mayor now or, or some kind of president of of California? I, I don't know, but he keeps on winning. And the other thing, you're right, Marshall, about that is, you know, the old saying is if you do the same as everybody else, then you are going to get the same results. At Watkins Glen, everybody got the chance to use those Michelin slick tomatoes that we were talking about earlier on. Nobody used them in practice, but Bill Oberlin was the guy that said, Let's stick them on at the start of the race. Uh, we haven't tried them. Well, let's stick them on at the start of the race and see what mm. happens. And what happened was they drove away from everybody in that opening stint. And I like that kind of, well, you know, let's give it a go, guys. And, you know, that's gr- And Bill, for me, is still the poster boy of American sports car racing, along with one or two others. But he is the one that sticks out for me because he's been around for such a long time. He was one of the guys that I first met when I went out to the American Le Mans series um, years ago. Um, And I do that more for Bill than I do for me. Everybody knows that I'm an old fart. Um, But uh, uh, but Bill was around then and 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 he and his dad were very kind to me. And I love to see good guys getting great results. I'm going to throw in as well Antonio Garcia because I think he's now beginning to really find his feet in sports car racing. Uh, I'm not saying he was a fish out of water before that, but he was a little bit more of a quiet man in the GM setup. When you race with Jan Magnussen, um, being a quiet man's not necessarily the the worst thing. Jan does his talking on the track. Uh, he's not 
particularly forthcoming when he gets interviewed. But I think Antonio has really come uh, into his own in the past probably 18 months, and I thought he had a pretty good season uh, this year as well. Um, we're at the halfway point near enough of this special uh, on RadioLeMond.com. We're talking about IMSA and the Judy United Sports Car Championship for 2015 with Racer.com's Marshall Pruitt and Shadam from IMSA Radio. Before we move on to the prototype classes, lady and gentlemen, just want to take your thoughts about the split races that we had this year. Long Beach, we had the pro classes. Uh, we had the all-GT VIR races. Jeremy Shaw and I were pretty much in agreement, Marshall, that they actually provided pretty good racing, and particularly somewhere like Long Beach, where... In the past, we have been blighted by safety cars, and that's not to say that the safety cars weren't required because of incidents. They clearly were. But we got good races uh, in, the, in the events where the classes were split up. Quality versus quantity. Which side of the line do you stand on? I stand on the side of the crowds, and mm. I can think of very few events where, a, at Long Beach, for example, the lack of cars was noticeable, meaning the cars would go by, kind of stare at your watch, look up at the sun, maybe fidget a little bit, and look back at your watch again and wait for them to come around. There just weren't enough cars at Long Beach to keep anyone entertained. So I think next year, for example, which Shay alluded to, with them adding the GT Daytona class in, should be plenty of cars, should be plenty of stuff to follow. And uh, anybody who says, well, too many cars, it gets hard to follow. Look, it's three classes, uh, two classes, three mm-hmm. classes, not a bad thing. So, of course, you always want quality. But I think when in a day and age where entertaining folks is often the number should be the number one concern because there's so many things people can go do now that uh, if they aren't entertained, um, quantity does matter. Slightly differently, different uh, equation shared VIR where we had just the GT classes. Uh, was it less of a show because the prototypes weren't coming through or giving the GTs their moment in the sun, and it was very much a VIR moment in the sun, is that of value to those teams, drivers, and potentially sponsors, your view? Well, it is, but I harper back to the days of the American Monsters where we did have prototypes running at VIR, and what a thrilling race that gave us. Mm. Personally, I would like to see more cars running at the VIR event Maybe bringing in the Conti race. I mean, if you want to stick to having uh, strictly cars that actually look like cars and have that, maybe you bring in the GS class to run. But I, I know that that's, that's way out there. Um, the one that I was really excited about is actually Canadian Tire Motorsport Park because I felt that last year when they didn't run the PC cars, it was a good mix, but it was still lacking. And then this year without GTD, it felt a little bit empty like they had room for gtd they they should have done it well next year they are going to do it and that's very exciting um but we also saw john that lime rock ran the split race as well with the uh, pc and gtd and that was crowded enough as was that presented a number of errors and uh, mistakes that that led to bigger problems but 
with the Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, we've now had two races there and only one caution. So I think they can afford to throw in a few more cars. Yeah, and I mean, I understand with places like Limelot and Long Beach, while they kind of look at it and say, let's play it on the conservative side. Um, I like the fact that we had unobstructed running, particularly at Long Beach. It's a short enough race. What I don't want to see is half the race disappear behind a, a safety car. So I'll, I'll take a, a slightly, whilst I understand, Marshall, exactly what you're saying, I'll take a slightly contrary stance and say, I'll trade a full 100 minutes or 110 minutes of racing without safety cars for an extra 10 or 15 cars on the grid. Um, and I, I think that's a balance that's very difficult to get. And I'm, I'm not really sure that there's a there's a definitive black and white answer on that to be honest uh, we'll uh, we'll move on to the prototype challenge category uh, a, a a category that has been a, for me a real uh, star in its time in the American Le Mans series and in the IMSA Tudor United Sports Car Championship in some ways Marshall Perhaps this class wasn't meant to still be going right now, but time and time again, particularly in qualifying, this class brings us excitement and entertainment par excellence. Oh, yeah. I mean, how's this? Who? (laughs) I love the craziness of the PR1 Matheson team, Uh, granted, did not win uh, the PC championship, but good Lord, if we're going back to our conversation about the uh, NAEC, wow, if it was a long race, they won it. I mean, Watkins Glen, they finished second. I realize that, but good Lord, Daytona Sebring and uh, Petit Lamar, that was amazing. Uh, I love that. Uh, you also look at Chris Cumming. I mean, that guy, I, I don't, I, we couldn't even measure, well, we could measure, but uh, the, the amount of time that he did not uh, managed to acquire to get pole was incredibly sad, but it also brought a great theme that we were following in. Shay was often, you know, having to console the poor guy after losing by a trillion <laughs> of a second. But it's little stuff like that where you go, hey, this is a great, I love the class, love the pro am structure. And you see some really cool things come out of it. And there were also some things that were a bit of a surprise, right? I mean, I expected Connor Daly to continue his form that, uh, and I apologize if I'm forgetting his debut, I think it was Sebring, but uh, Connor came in and uh, did just what I expected him to. IndyCar star, quick as a bunny, you name it. And then, boy, he fumbled a couple times yes, towards the end did. of the year. I, I don't know if he earned himself uh, a return ticket. Who would have predicted that? Renger, Renger Van de Zanda. I mean, that kid, I think, is just amazing at all times. James French, hey, you know, polls and just, I mean, if not for being in the PC class, uh, there are some names who, or some drivers who I don't think would have been able to assert themselves in terms of quality recognition or maybe had a, a prototype you know a uh, Daytona prototype or an LMP2 team looking at them considering them on merit alone so just you know quickly back to your point Heidi I think uh, I the class is doing what it's supposed to do 
It's bringing new drivers into the series. Uh, You're also getting some new teams that have come in. The the JDC Church team, for example, is a a great one. Bar One as well. So, yeah, in my opinion, uh, you might not always have the stability that you would like. That's the one knock on PC. Uh, Like, what I'm thinking about doing, we're going to be, we'll be doing a preview for the 24 Hours of Daytona soon. I recommend we wait until Friday night before, you know, because <laughs> I couldn't tell you who's going to be in one car to the next, who's in, who's out. It's that fluctuation, which maybe some consider that exciting, but it's also about the only class in IMSA where you go, boy, ooh, you know, yeah, I'm here for the full season. And then you start looking around, you know, by, by Monterey going, hey, where'd that guy go? So that's the only knock on the class, but regardless, teams coming in, new drivers coming in, uh, and then you still have. John Bennett, Colin Brown, uh, doing what they do, which is winning. So mm. I, I love it. It's one of my little, it's one of my you know guilty pleasures of sports car racing. Uh, nothing to be guilty about there. I, I should just mention, by the way, in, in the GTLM category, congratulations to Corvette for winning the manufacturers by a single point in their NAEC division over uh, Porsche. Marshall, Marshall mentioning the, uh, the NAEC for Prototype Challenge uh, reminded me that we, we hadn't mentioned that into uh, uh, Tonio Garcia and uh, Jan Magnussen, I think, who uh, just sneaked the drivers a part of that as well. But PC, Sheer, um, oftentimes gets the finger pointed at it. Uh, in terms of you know guys going out there and finding the cars a little more difficult to drive than perhaps they had been uh, expecting, but the quality of pro driver in that pro and class again, uh, if I just read down a few names at uh, at random here from the uh, from the results of uh, of last year, we have Tom Kimber Smith. Colin Brown, uh, Bruno Junquera, Renga van der Zander, uh, Connor Daly, all been mentioned, uh, Stephen Simpson, Felipe Albuquerque. These are Johnny Moller, Martin Plowman, Jack Hawksworth. These are drivers that would grace any series, open or closed wheel, GT or prototype, in the world. And I think Marshall's right, isn't he? he this is a... This is a category that has provided a, an open door into the big show for teams, drivers, mechanics and sponsors that perhaps IMSA wouldn't have seen otherwise. If you can drive a PC car quickly, you're going to get noticed because it's not the easiest thing in the world yeah, to do. The truth. Yeah, so it's the sort of thing where you find people coming in to prove themselves. And then you also find people like Johnny Mullum who come back having not driven the car in a while, who then puts it on pole at Daytona making a statement against the competition. It's phenomenal the level of drivers we have in that category and the fact that it is open to pro-am and that we have a team like Core Autosport who's been able to dominate that category for so many years now, I mean, the team was only the team only came together in 2010, and it seems like they've won a championship every, every year, year since. Mm. But you think about that. They didn't win Daytona. They didn't win Sebring, and they didn't win Petit Le Mans. They only got two wins this year. That's pretty amazing because that means that eight other uh, races were won by different people. 
Yeah, it's a fair point. Mike Grush, Tom Mike Kimbersmith, Kimbersmith, Andrew Palmer uh, take the championship ahead of John Bennett uh, and Colin Brown with James Gouet and uh, uh, next up ahead of Alex Popout. Um, it, it was, you know, it's it, it's easy to forget, isn't it, Marshall, that those cars uh, are uh, actually quite long in the tooth now, were designed for something else entirely. They were actually designed as a sprint series uh, in Europe. They've ended up being an endurance series in the States and had far more of a, uh, far more of a successful existence in the American Le Mans series and, and now in IMSA. Uh, just three points between Core and Matheson Motorsport with uh, another 12 points back to RSR Racing. And... and Still, these cars go on, and I'm not sure, if I'm honest, that a replacement for these cars, an acceptable replacement for these cars, it has to come, but I'm not sure one's been found yet. Not that I know of. I know concepts have been (laughs) found. Um, Yeah, I... Look it was a stopgap, the... wasn't it? Let's be honest. Prototype Challenge was a stopgap, as was GTC with the Porsche Cup cars for for IMSA in the LMS days. And it's developed into so much more than that. And I think it's going to be hard to lose this category now. Something, you know, something at this level is absolutely required. They've found a niche in the marketplace. They have. <clears throat> I think they also were smart by basing the car granted the the Eureka FLM09 was not created specifically for IMSA but the chassis itself based on a 24 hour design one meant to run an LMP2 so smart in that from that standpoint uh, I do think that going forward IMSA absolutely needs to come up with something that uh, is built for the American market the what the Eureka has been or what it has come is it's become something that fits us wasn't built for us but fits us and has been modified and evolved and continues to be modified and evolved so but for what we have now it's so far removed from what the original car was meant to be i think we've actually found that what folks want is something you can buy beat the living heck out of for five, six, however many years. The running costs are not exceptionally high. And you know, for what we've seen with the PC car, it has been continually modified, upgraded, sped up, or changed to meet the demands of multi-class racing. If IMSA can do a good job of targeting what it wants to be in terms of speed and performance, then maybe you don't need to build so much flexibility into modifying it year after year. But again, the PC class, like some of the other classes, gets yanked around a little bit because if the GT3 cars are significantly faster, well, then we need to create more separation between PC and those cars. So the PC might have to change. So it's it's an interesting thing, Heidi, where you do have to, it is a car that has to be very future-minded and you yeah. must be able to modify it. I can tell you that 
the only downside is with what we have right now is if it had a roof, if you could uh, bolt a roof onto the thing, uh, I think the car would actually be able to continue for many years to come. Yeah. The fact that closed-top prototypes have become the global standard, and that is where everything is headed from a safety standpoint. Um, that's the only legacy item with the car. You go, yeah, that's going to be the one reason it goes away sooner than later. But uh, I'm going to miss open prototypes, if I'm very, very honest. I think that's that's one of the bits of variety that I, I will miss. Uh, PC, share, uh standalone or leading the categories at uh, at. Lime Rock Park, as uh, you mentioned earlier on, and did it with style. We had action, we had controversy, uh, particularly at the front of the field, and we had a race with the uh, GTDs and the PC cars that was worthy of the name, and one of the bigger crowds that would have been watching this year in, in lovely weather were entertained, and at the end of the day, that's job done. It really was. And when you think about at the front end of the field for a while in PC, it, it felt like no one wanted to win. Because <laughs> That's you, right. you had Steven Simpson out there running away from everybody as a silver driver. And then the issues with that car came to play. And then you had Connor Daly running away with it and then throwing it away, arguably, uh, depending on whose point you're listening to, Haze or da- Daly. Um, and then it came down to being PR1 again. Those guys Those won guys. so many this year and the ironic thing is two of them really fell into their laps between daytona and then at lime rock but no nothing to take nothing away from them they absolutely deserve the win i was thoroughly entertained by lime rock though i didn't even care that those were the quote-unquote top cars because they put on top class racing no completely agree with that and one of the challenges for imza in the coming years is to either extend the life of that category. And in fairness, I think to probably attract maybe two or three more teams to it, it, the competition, I know it takes two cars to make a race. The competition was a bit thin at times, but it was, you know, it was again quality over quantity, but two or three more cars and a continuation of the philosophy of that category I think is something that IMSA have to have at the top of their list as they go forward. You're listening to a Midweek Motorsport Special. Uh, joining me, John Hindoff, is Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com and Shea Adam from IMSA Radio. We're looking back at the 2015 IMSA Tudor United Sports Car Championship and we come to the combined prototype class. Now, it, some said it would never work, some said it could never work, and it has not exactly been a marriage made in heaven, pulling together Daytona prototypes and LMP2 cars, throwing the Delta wing just as the joker in the pack, and you've given the guys who make the regulations and the balance of performance a headache to, really, uh, to... Uh, uh, to to stand across the whole season. We'll come to that in just a moment because um, Shea has reminded me I haven't asked for the uh, MVPs, if you like, uh, from PC. So Shea, as you have reminded me of that, who? Uh, what's your standout from uh, from PC for the season? 
Um, core Autosport. Their yeah. worst finish was fourth this year, which they had four times. But still, they're a team who goes after a championship. They know how to do that. Uh, John Bennett, solid driver. Colin Braun, speedy as could be. And uh, between the two of them, they managed to clinch yet another championship, and it's going to be hard to beat them again next year. Yeah, I, I, that's a very good, uh, it's a very good observation. Uh, I'll put a word in for Mikhail Goigberg because uh, of uh, him coming through the classes, and you know, again, that's part of the ladder system. He's been in Cupertized prototype lights, made a, a step up. Not always the easiest thing to do, and he's handled that reasonably well, not perfectly. Uh, this year, Marshall, what what would you say? So I'm going to go against what I said in GTLM about since my man Nick Regan Tandy wasn't there full season. Uh, I'm going to go against that, and this is again in full recognition that you know you won't get any better than Colin Brown or a few others. So those that you would expect to be the best are the best. But the one who stood out to me that impressed me the most that got three wins and a second from four races in his debut. Andrew Palmer, good yeah. lord. Great. Obviously, he's surrounded by talent uh, with Tom Kimbersmith, and Mike Wash has become a you know very good non-pro in PC. But hey, for a kid stepping in, hey, it's your first PC race. 24-hour Daytona winner. Hey, let's go to Sebring. 12 hours Sebring winner. Yeah. Hey, come back for Watkins. Second. Hey, let's go to uh, Petit. Winner. Wow. I mean, if anything, he's young, but he should almost drop the mic and just step away. That's about as good as you're going to get. Thank you. Uh, honorable mentions uh, as well for Connor Daly uh, getting into the to that car for uh, a few races and uh, proving that a, he still has the talent to do anything and has not been proved with recent news of what he'll be doing next year. And B, just how competitive... PC was because a driver, even of his standing and talent, uh, was not a shoe in uh, for victories. And I thought he dealt with triumph and disaster pretty well, actually, uh, across the season, as did uh, a number uh, of others uh, as well uh, this year in PC. Right, let's head back to the front of the field. As I said, it's been a headache uh, for the last couple of seasons trying to get these cars, balanced cars, with very different philosophies coming into this. It was, in some ways, a, well, many said a fool's errand. Many said it couldn't be done. Did we get close enough to it this year, Marshall Pruitt? It would appear, just on the strength of the results, that the cars that we knew as Daytona prototypes still had the advantage. They got the results. But actually, when you looked a little closer and dug down into the times, the LMP2 versions of IMSA prototypes were far more competitive, far more competitive, far more of the time. They might not have got the results, but you can't blame the people who do the balance of performance for that, can you? No, I'd say you really actually don't even have to look that hard, Andy. There was one full-time P2. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me rephrase that. There were, well, there were two full-time, but technically there – I shouldn't say technically. There was one full-time P2 that was capable of competing for overall wins. That car is also uh, one of the only uh, full-time prototype entrants that had a pro and non-pro lineup. Yeah. So – Despite the fact that IMSA, I think, and to your point, uh, really made greater strides on balancing the cars, uh, the fact is 
the uh, exceptionally skilled John Pugh and looking at where he came from to where he is today, John Pugh is, can certainly hold his own uh, far better than ever. Uh, but we do know that he's not an Oz Negri. And, uh, you know, is Oz, has Oz left any speed on the table? You know, that's for others to ask. Reality, when you have Joao Barbosa and Christian Fittipaldi, or Westy and Michael Valiante, et cetera, et cetera, Joey Hand and Scott Pruitt, the mm. Taylor brothers, uh, I, you, if you don't have a pro-pro lineup in a P2, you're not going to be challenging for a championship. Uh, it's, yeah, that that is that is very true, Marshall. And I'm not sure why, after a little bit more interest, we haven't had more uh, teams heading across to the LMP2 cars that will become de rigueur uh, in a season or two's time, but they haven't. Uh, Joao Barbosa and Christian Filippaldi took the overall championship by just three points in the end from Michael Valiente and Richard Westbrook with Dame Cameron and Eric Curran just a, another couple of points uh, behind. And then in uh, the next spot back, Joey Hand and Scott Pruitt were only uh, on 301 points. That is uh, eight points behind the winners of the championship. So share, the love was shared out in terms of the, the championship points across the year. And the battles, again, came down to, interestingly for me, I think people who made the least mistakes as as much as people who did the best runs. Yeah, um, making mistakes, having reliable cars, that was another big portion of it. Um, because Chip Ganassi Racing, you can never count them out. They had a couple of mechanical issues mm. this year that really took Joey Hand and Scott Pruitt, I wouldn't say out of the running, but definitely took them back a step. Uh, the Taylor brothers, they had the disqualification at Daytona, which really threw them for a loop. And then their only other truly off race wasn't until Road America. So that was another thing where reliability sort of bit them. But you look at the guys up at the top and Action Express Racing – just a phenomenal organization together to get two cars in the top three. And a big portion of that was Dane Cameron fighting back through everything, not to take away from Eric Curran, who really came to his own this year. But uh, the five cars only ever missed one lap of competition in the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. That in itself is worthy of praise. Mm. And, you know, Action Express Racing, Marshall, were my nomination for this year's I Respect team of the year in our man of the year program they pretty much got it well I'm going to say they they didn't get it all right but they got more of it right than anybody else did I thought they had a splendid year this year and when you're racing against the guys that they were racing against including Chip Ganassi including Wayne Taylor and the visitflorida.com guys let's not forget who ran them close just three points behind in the team's championship you've got to execute if you're going to beat teams like that across a whole championship season. I appreciate the fact that in both prototype classes, we have teams that have reached essentially the same level. You could say that Action Express had a core-like season or that core had a Action (laughs) Express-like season. And that said, with complete reverie, uh, they go into every race expecting to win preparing to win and uh, if they don't win they come really close always thinking about the championship always working to put them in the frame uh, to to capture a championship and 
if I look at prototype, uh, I can tell you that you know while there is exceptional driving talent and engineering talent on the the uh, visit Florida side, uh, I don't know if that team uh, has the uh, right makeup managerially structure what you, you name it uh, that we got down to a fairly sharp point this season. Uh, where the difference between winning a championship and not winning a championship wasn't only about the driver, wasn't only about luck, it was about approach. Uh, I think for me, prototype is really a, a class among the four that stands out in that capacity this year. The way that Bob Johnson's team is put together, the way they think, the way they plan, wow. That, to me, is heavily reflected in how they came out of the championship. In leaving uh, Circuit of the Americas, I don't know if anyone pointed to Action Express and said, aha, by the end of Petite, (laughs) they'll be champs. Uh, We looked at the Visit Florida team and said, wow, juggernaut, those they're really rolling. They're going to be in great shape. And, uh, you know, there's some driving mistakes there, but I just don't – I think – I hope – let me say that. I hope – the uh, the visit Florida team goes into 2016 new driver lineup uh, lots of new things I hope they go in realizing that uh, championships aren't just about who you plug into the car but how you go about utilizing those drivers and everyone else for the bulk of the season and then I look at the fact that here's just another quick thing to wrap wrap up on the point Heidi so what did Action Express do this year that was different than last they added a second car they took on Sunny uh, Sunny Whelan's team. And incorporated that, brought in Dane Cameron, pro's pro, Eric Curran, not a pro, uh, definitely someone who you know is lear- still learning in Daytona prototype. And guess what, Eric, wow, at one of my absolute stars of the season, uh, yeah, Joao and uh, Christian, defending champions, won two races. So did the number 31 car with a uh, pro non pro lineup and they ran everybody close for the championship too. Uh, So great performances in the 31 car, but also I think team played a big role in in helping action express to be so powerful. And share great stories right through the field. Uh, As you've just mentioned on the text to me, six podiums each for the five action express in the second place in the championship visit florida.com. Racing car, you can you can pull out performances, I suppose. Mazda, it was a a difficult year in some way for Mazda with uh, Sky Active Diesel based on their streetcar uh, diesel block. Very hard to get that technology to the sort of competitive performance they needed to be. In some ways, was there zenith at at Daytona when they led genuinely led on fuel mileage and pace? That was the moment where everybody had tears in their eyes. That was the, the, the emotional moment. I think their apex this year would have been at Monster Raceway Laguna Seca, where they had their best ever finish, which was seventh, I believe, uh, for the Nunez Bomarito card. That was huge for them as well. And they knew that the momentum going into this next year would take them on a completely different swing, that they would have a better package to put together for next year in terms of uh, competitiveness. That's why they pulled both cars at Petit Le Mans when they were running around in the rain. They didn't want to take a chance of damaging the cars because they had nothing to gain and everything to lose. Mazda's a team that I'm going to be watching with big interest for this coming year because they've had something that they've been working on now since July. They've been testing it, and they know that it's going to be uh, something to put them back on the podium. 
Uh, and if we're looking for single performances and headlines, Marshall, Chevy and a win at the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring for the first time in half a century. That was brilliant. Uh, of the, <laughs> there were many standout drives this season in IMSA Indy. I don't know if there was one greater than Sebastian Bourdais' I'm putting a second on you per lap performance yeah. at Sebring in the, number, in the number five in 14 million degree temperature. Uh, I, I'm telling you, what that guy did in, on, in his first stint essentially broke the race wide open. And nothing against his teammates, but it was Seb who just ripped the heart out of everyone else going after that team at Sebring. Seeing him, I just happened to be in the pits when he climbed out of the car after that stint, and he stumbled out and went over and poured himself onto the ground because he almost couldn't stand and was physically exhausted from the heat. You wind that back, and I was just timing, looking at the gap each lap, going, how is he doing this? How is he doing this? How is he doing this? <laughs> crazy. Those are the things for me that I live for, where in a team sport, multi-driver, multi-everything, where a person can raise up above the rest and go, aha, you're going to remember this. That was pretty amazing. Plus them, plus obviously Chevrolet winning and the Corvette DP being the uh, the prototype mark of choice this year. Also, not a bad thing. Fair to say, I think, MP, that we could have done with another couple of five cars in the sharp end of the championship, in the prototype championship. Not sure where they might have come from. Of course, Tequila Petroni SM were uh, here for part of the season. Uh, with multiple chassis, uh, new race, different chassis, uh, but their their major focus now is on the the WEC. I'm not sure, as I say, where those full season entries might come from as we look back at 2015 and forward to 2016. I, I talked about potentially GTD being a dead duck year this year. It certainly wasn't. We had great. Great racing in it, as we've discussed. Looking perhaps a little bit further forward for prototype, can it be sustained with the levels that we had and potentially without a Chip Ganassi full season uh, for that car? How do you see that going forward? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think 2016 is going to... I've been telling folks for a little while now. I expect IMSA 2016 to remind me a lot of ALMS 2011 through 2013, where when we're ri- when we're writing headlines at the end of the at the end of the race, we're talking about uh, the GT team that won their class and uh, the excitement from that, and also add the prototype winner as the overall. But nonetheless, we're going to lead more often than not with the uh, GT happenings because yeah. I do expect 2016 to be thin due to the transition. Now, one thing that I've written about recently is what I'm expecting for 2017 in prototype. And I do think that is going to be a very good thing. Difference being, though, back to your point, is even though this is a bit of a lame duck year for GTD, knowing that GT3 was coming, it's not as if people didn't have cars and couldn't race them. Well, one of the things we have in prototype is, A, there aren't a lot of cars. There is a change coming up. 
and we're losing a couple full-time. Uh, the Ganassi cars, as you mentioned, uh, since they're moving into GTLM, uh, we don't have many, if any, that I know of, uh, who are going to be hanging around after Sebring. So, yeah, I think we're going to be thin up top. Definitely smart of IMSA to add a third class to Long Beach, for example, because we're just talking about getting the bulk, getting the numbers up there. But, yeah, uh, we're going to be a little thin. doesn't mean we're not going to have quality. We know that we're gonna, going to have the same... Action Express lineup. We know that we're going to have a new uh, Visit Florida lineup. That's going to be great. Uh, we know that the Taylor brothers, and especially their cranky old man, they're mad as heck that they uh, <laughs> that they you know finished fifth in the championship are going to be going after glory. We know that Mike Shank, John Pugh, and, and Oz Negri are sick and tired of not standing on top of the podium. So uh, then you have the two Mazdas, which I think could be the absolute spoilers, having yeah. seen those things and what they're capable of with their boy just another thing as a fan if you get a chance 2016 stop by the Mazda garage and ask to look at the engine it is just a it's cool it's a jewel really cool uh well yeah and if you happen to see what was in the back of the uh the Dyson Lola's uh you know in 2013 it'll look very familiar but nonetheless the the Mazdas should definitely be in for some wins this year so I think we're going to see plenty of quality yeah quantity not so much 2017 though I'm actually getting pretty excited Uh, Marshall mentioned there when Taylor Racing share in 2015 they had an up and down season Uh, finished fourth uh, fifth rather uh, and you know fifth but only something like, what, 15, 16, 17 points uh, away from the lead, which in the big scheme of things is uh, is not a lot of uh, racing. Sorry, I've, I've got that, I think I've got that slightly wrong, but they weren't that far back uh, anyway uh, in terms of their championship aspirations. They had a fast car. They had an expensive year rebuilding it as well, though, didn't they? <laughs> they did. Uh, you're correct, by the way. It was 17 points. And uh, just thinking about it for a second, if they had had Paul Trusswell on the box doing the drive time, because he noticed that immediately at Daytona, the four and six hours that cost them to be disqualified at Daytona, if they'd gotten the points that they had garnered from Daytona, they would have been champions. So it's one of those things that you just look back and it makes you even more angry for the year to come. But regardless of that, they had five podiums this year, three poles between the two boys, and two wins. That's not a bad season. And that's a really good thing to go into the next year carrying that and say, you know what? We had some bad luck. Yeah, that's true. But the second to last race of the season, the penultimate round at Coda, they finished second. And at Petit Le Mans with the shortened race, they finished fourth. That's not a bad foot to be going into Daytona, which is the race that that whole family wants desperately to win. That's a, a pretty good foot to go in on. What about Michael Shank Racing and the uh, LMP2 car, the fast LMP2 car MP? Uh, they spent a lot of money this year on bodywork and, and chassis damage. That car clearly, you know, we, we started off talking about prototyping in IMSA for 2015, about whether the classes within the classes or the different types of cars within the classes were actually performance balanced. They've had the speed. They haven't been able to get the car to the finish in one piece enough in 2015. 
Yeah, I guess that's a great point. Uh, if anything, uh, Michael Shank Racing's mechanics are exceptionally well drilled at uh, <laughs> unbolting broken things and bolting fresh things back on. I love uh, the fact you're a glass, uh, glass half full type of bloke. Well, uh, you look, our heart just bled for them over and over and over again. And of the many little miracles we celebrate uh, from the season, one was definitely uh, the help from the Elan Technologies folks at Petit to uh, resuscitate the car overnight. Tribute car for our, uh, our dear and, and, and departed friend, Justin Wilson. So that was amazing. But yeah, I mean, heck, uh, uh, on the topic of the big man, he didn't, he didn't even get a chance to drive at Sebring uh, when Oz Negri, you know, someone where you just don't expect crashes from, uh, uh, essentially broke the thing, broke it beyond repair before he could even get in the car. So yeah, just a year where of all the prototype teams that were waiting for the clock to finally count down to the last minute at Petit, I think Mike uh, and team were definitely, they were the ones, wanted to put 2015 behind them, reset, and hopefully whether it was bad luck or bad mojo or I don't know what, uh, hey, let's let's try this again next year. I think, I think they should definitely be able to win at least once. And, you know, I think from a, from a rooting standpoint, it'd make me really happy to see them be able to win because they do spend a lot of money. Their crew, uh, boy, you talk about dedicated professionals, they're long overdue. The uh, MVPs, if you will, for prototype share, you have a, a crack at this for I'll make I'll make no bones about the fact that um, it looks like I'm just going for the winners. But Action Express for me, um, we've mentioned how they delivered and executed throughout the year. I would find it hard to to go against them. Uh, your choices for uh, performance of the year in prototype in in IMSA? Mm. It's hard to look beyond Dane Cameron with what he was able to do as GTD champion last year. He got three wins in two different classes this year. But that being said, I'm going to do the Graham Goodwin thing. Um, I'm going to pick the Taylor brothers because I feel like they really had a season where things started to come together for them. And you look at Jordan with his extracurricular activity at Le Mans this year coming Mm -hmm. away with the win as well. And Ricky going to be joining that team next year. I feel like they might have something special for this season to come. Marshall? I thought you were going to say Jordan and his and periscoping with his damn dog all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> the dog is actually periscoping. Uh, Jordan hasn't worked out how to do it yet. Good Lord. Uh, yet, so I, I'm struggling to come up with a single choice. Uh, they're defi- Let me give you a couple of the honorable mentions. Dane Cameron, for sure. Eric Curran. Definitely uh, Eric wow. Curran. Definitely, Aaron, Eric, wow, really, truly impressive for me. Uh, Bourdais, we already mentioned, I think he put in the best individual drive of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rockenfeller, impressive as well. Uh, the guy who I think ha- had the most incredible season and who I just I wanted to hug and say I'm sorry to uh, by the end of Petit Le Mans was Richard Westbrook. Wow. Um, him, Westy, not being prototype champion, I can say without a doubt, it's not his fault. Uh, the, where things went sour and went south, uh, with you know, for reasons beyond his 
individual control. But I would say in terms of true performance and a guy who came from GT racing looking, you know, there's always a question, hey, you're good in GT. Can you be good in the biggest, fastest yeah. sports cars? Wow. Uh, Westy, Westy is my sentimental prototype champion and i think we definitely i'm glad to see him going back to a big factory driving gt but i'm also going to miss the fact uh, that we're not going to get to see him just ring the life out of a corvette dp next year he was almost completely pigeonholed as just a porsche driver as well that that was the other thing so that that is uh it's a nice observation there uh, mp definitely i'm going to throw john Pugh in there as well because i thought when he was behind the wheel of the car and the car was going he did a pretty good job uh, in there for a man who isn't really a, a pro driver in a class that's full of the very very best uh, in terms of pro uh, drivers uh, it's uh, and also Joao Barbosa uh, shortly Martin Short discovered Joao many years ago in the Royal Centre uh, racing and it's taken Joao a while to win a championship but uh, along with Christian Fittipaldi they have done this year you know there's one other Heidi, and I, and I'm just realizing that I, I'm failing to mention this. You want to talk about impressive from from an area from someone you would not expect it. Kyle Larson, yes, Daytona. yes, what? yes, what? and he is beating himself up, going, "Oh, I'm not really not that good. And I don't know. Gee and gosh, look at you. Look at his times this year compared to last. A, they won the race, but you're going, boy." Talk about the potential for dragging around some ballast. You know, good old Mr. Sprint Cup, dirty dirt, roundy round guy. Sure, we're going to throw you in a Daytona prototype for 24 hours. And they didn't have to hide him. They didn't didn't have to super diminish his time. Uh, Kyle Larson, I'm telling you, of almost every driver we're going to go and see again uh, uh, at the next Rolex 24, that kid, that kid's fireworks right there. No, and that's, uh, you're right, Uh, it's a long time ago and we have to uh, sort of focus back in on those early performances at Daytona and Sebring, which of course uh, we are already looking forward to and you'll hear on IMSA Radio in 2016. Uh, We talked at the very start of this programme, Shea and Marshall, just generally about the series and, you know, how certain things, date equity, which is a word that I really like, uh, in terms of the calendar. Uh, we have that for 2016. It worked in 2015. There are, Marshall, still some areas that need a bit of work on. Certainly improvements in 2015 uh, with the online presence. The introduction of the IMSA app was certainly a big step mm. forward. The website... Still clearly being worked on. I realise, because we're a little closer, I think, to this sort of thing than most people are, that they are working with the architecture uh, and the infrastructure of the old uh, ELMS site, which is not necessarily completely suited to what is being tried to be achieved. But I thought the app this year was a great addition to what was going on. Very brave to launch it on several different uh, platforms at the same time and it's completely free as well other series take note and certainly if our listeners and viewers are anything to go by it's been pretty much universally well received I had to ask someone at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca when it was launched to explain a couple things because there are a few things I couldn't figure out on my own and or maybe those were things that were still being ironed out uh, on their end 
once all the functionality was was working seamlessly, once I understood it, I have to admit, Heidi, and granted, maybe it's because I'm 45, I'm not a big app guy. No, you know, I kind of figure things out on my I mean, I, I'm just, maybe it's routine and habit or age. I'm not a big app guy. I found actual <laughs> continued uh relentless need for the IMSA app. I was blown away at how good it was. It did everything I needed. I could. There were no holes to pick in it. Uh, if I wasn't at the race and I was, you know, somewhere doing something monotonous, I knew that I had video, <laughs> I had timing. Most of all, I had audio, which is that's a huge help if you're trying to stay on top of things. But yeah, to your point, I admittedly, and you can ask some of the folks from the series, the first couple days, I was not its biggest proponent. Once it it started to hit its stride. Wow. It, it's the only, it is truly, it's the only app I use from any motor racing series. So good on them. Sure. You are of an age, if you don't mind me saying, that uh, is uh, probably a slightly different generation to MP uh, and myself. Um, being a, a Blackberry in it, yes. Playing a Blackberry in a PC user, I don't uh, have that many apps that I look at either in common. Uh, with Marshall, you do. Now, obviously, you're working for a lot of the times when the app is doing its hardest work. Well, you you do have the Alama Trader app. I, I, do I, know I, that, I that, yes. that That is very true. I never go anywhere without that open all the time, just just for those uh, really Im- important alerts, uh, Alama alerts that I get. Um, from, from your point of view, Cher, as I said, you know, brave to launch at multiple platforms at one time, um, Android, iOS, uh, uh, among them, uh, and uh, and Windows, and yeah, I'm not used to plugging things into the telly to get pictures. You are. Um, it works. It seems to be bringing a different and a new audience to the series. In that respect, then, it's a success, isn't it? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, when I was up in uh, Canada land with no internet around for miles and cell phones or who, who have heard of those. Um, I would actually go to a hotel that was not too far away that did have Wi-Fi so that I could use my IMSA app and watch the races that I wasn't at. And my favorite feature of it right now, because let's face it, there's not a whole lot going on with the IMSA app in the off season. Oh wait, there's a little countdown at the absolute bottom of the screen that tells you right now, how many days, hours, minutes, and nice. seconds are before the roar. So I like to wake up and look at that in the morning to sort of scare myself into how much homework is left. But the quality that it streams to your television, it's like you're sitting there watching it on the actual channel from cable, except you're not paying for it. It's a great service for people my age who maybe are a little bit stingier than people of your generation. Hey, easy, easy. Hey, just say it. Uh, it, it it has filled a gap, MP, because for all the things that we love about IMSA and the Tudor United Sports Car Championship, the network television product uh, is still needs some work. And I think the the only thing that I would say that is positive coming out of IMSA is that they know and understand that and are, and are trying, trying very hard indeed to address that and move it forward. I, I agree, Heine, but I also think we need to make a distinction between the TV product 
is really no different than what we've had for 15 or 20 years in terms of quality, even many of the people that make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, when I come home from a race and, have, and watch the, re, the broadcast or rebroadcast, it's a high-quality experience. There, there's uh, sharp people who know what they're talking about. Have been doing it for a long time. They get it. We can. We, we, racing fans know when they're watching a broadcast whether the people putting it on get it. We, uh, at least for me, no question. The good folks at Fox get it. The issue, as I see it, it's not so much about Fox, not the people putting on the show. It's not so much IMSA. It's the fact that the cable, the. T- because cable TV is changing, viewing habits are changing, mm. it's becoming much, much harder for a niche sport to garner big ratings on cable, especially when it's not on an ESPN or something that has a great following built in. Obviously, my former employer, Speed, converted over to Fox Sports 1, which now hosts the WeatherTech Championship and has hosted the Tudor Championship. We also know that because they have a big rotation of being a multi-sport channel, they can't put on 10 hours of Petite or 24 of Daytona because they have Major League Baseball and UFC fighting and college football, whatever it might be. They have to serve a wide audience. We were spoiled back in the day when we could watch the entire thing on a motorsport-dedicated channel. So as a result, a lot of what they do is pawn things off to Fox Sports 2. That still, which I'm tired of saying, and I'm sure everyone's tired of hearing me say, no one has it, no one watches it. It's a generalization, but for the most part, even when I worked, I worked for Speed for seven or eight years, I'd still had no access to what was then fuel, and I've still never seen Fox Sports 2 in my life, and I do this for a living. So I can only imagine, and I live in a large metro in the Bay Area where we seemingly have everything. Um, <laughs> it's a problem. It's not IMSA's problem. IMSA didn't create the problem so much. Yeah. You could say, well, hey, they're partners with them. Well, it's true. Uh, look, if you – endurance racing has a huge problem when it comes to its television and its future of television. This is not unique to IMSA. It's the same thing with the World Endurance Championship. Yep. If you look at the WEC's ratings on Fox Sports 2, there's no need, there's no need to count there's just no need to even count. The numbers are so small. And we know it has nothing to do with the quality of the racing, Heidi. We know that it's not because, I mean, good Lord, a Porsche 919, most compelling race car in the world right now. It's not because the product isn't good. It's just where do you fit races minimum three hours up to 24 on the dial? Uh, our version of the sport is in a bit of a bigger conflict, bigger question mark of how it uh, continues to serve fans through televised means. As you've said and continued to say, I think the more things go towards streaming, tablet, on demand, that is probably going to be where the sport needs to go. Which makes that app, the launch of which we were just talking about recently, even more uh, important in the future. So not necessarily an issue then. Uh, with IMSA or with Fox, but with viewing habits and the way people consume their sports share in a very different way, particularly people of your generation. You you don't do television. You don't do, certainly don't want to pay for cable. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. I am part of that problem because when I need to watch a race, I go to my generic tablet device, as you would say, John, <laughs> and open up fruit, whatever Is that a app. fruit-based tablet device? <laughs> It, yes, yes, a, uh, a, ooh, hungry now, 
Um, yes, but I pull up the Fox Sports Go app or the NBC Sports app or the CBS app, and I log in with maybe my parents' account. They do pay for it, so that's fine. But my television package is a dollar a month for basic, basic channels. So I don't have the opportunity to watch racing. I have to go somewhere else to find it. I am part of this problem, and I don't see it shrinking in the future, John. No. I see it becoming more and more of an issue. So going to an app where you're getting ahead of the problem, where you are showing your racing, you're only getting it out there for more people. You're becoming everybody's best friend. Uh, you're listening to Cher Adam Marshall Pro and me, John Heindorf. It's a midweek motorsport specialist. We've been looking back at the 2015 IMSA Tudor United Sports Car Championship season. Before we sign off, we've given you the MVPs, if you will, in the four categories. Um, just in a few words, MP, your abiding memories of 2015. We've we've talked about the ups and the downs, the successes and the heartaches, and some of the rights and wrongs of the season. What main thing will you take away from 2015 for the main IMSA Championship? I love the highlights. And that's maybe separate from some years where, good good Lord, every single event was special. Uh, I'm really left with the highlights of Ford winning the Rolex 24 overall with the the, the star car with Kanan, Dixon, <laughs> Jamie McMurray, Kyle Larson. That was amazing. I look at Corvette uh, doing the same, the opening two rounds, the two biggest races of the year. Uh, I look at the finale with Porsche winning overall, uh, I you know it, it's the the big highlights to me. I think that's pretty cool coming off of 2014, where you know anger and acrimony was equal parts of what I remembered. This year, there was a lot of highlights, maybe a little thin in the middle, but definitely a lot of highlights. I'll, I'll go back as well to that masterful strategy uh, by our friends at BMW. Team RLL at Circuit of the Americas. A lot of great highlights, and for that, I'm, I'm genuinely thankful. The last thing I'll add, and they get beaten up quite a bit, uh, still get beaten up, I think more than is fair. IMSA's technical team, that's something mm-hmm. else we haven't spoken on too much. There's a bit of a, a change, and there's a continuing change uh, of the guard going on there, but I think they did more right than wrong. Uh, I definitely think IMSA, from a leadership and uh, from a leadership standpoint, gotten a lot of things right uh, pulled away from some things we thought were going to happen for example hey so uh, lmp3 definitely going to go ahead as the the pc replacement that hasn't happened i mean there's you know we live in we work in a sport in sports car racing where there's minutiae everywhere therefore there's lots of things to complain about always a lot of things we could complain about i think imsa as a whole from the competitors to the people running it to the people officiating it I think they got a lot of things right this year. There's some really cool, big memories for me, at least, to take away, too, from the triumphs and successes. Uh, I would say, Cher, that uh, the accessibility uh, that we've had with people like Bo, with people like uh, Bo Barfield, the, uh, uh, the race director, with Simon in the technical, as Marshall's, Marshall's just added, with Scott Atherton, um, we are certainly not quite back to how it was in the LMS days and, and perhaps it will never get back to that. It's a it's a it's a different atmosphere. 
not better or worse, just different. But I like the access, I like the openness, I like the fact we're talking about racing. And we've had some fantastic racing this year, uh, rather than organisational issues, good, bad, or indifferent. What, what was, oh, and I got to go to Watkins Glen, that was a big highlight uh, for, for me. What about you? Uh, two words to summarise the series, the first of which would be variety. We had a bunch of different winners and pole sitters and podiums all together this year with uh, a lot of different cars. That was fun to see. The second of which, going back to Watkins Glen, rain <laughs> and wet. And I will always remember slushing around and my poor little pink tennis shoes rest in peace. Shea Adam and Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com. Uh, thank you very much for being with us as we take a, have we been taking a look back at the IMSA Tudor United Sports Car Championship for 2015. It's the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for 2016 and rest assured that IMSA Radio will be there right throughout the season, starting off with the Raw before the 24 at Daytona in January. That my thanks go to the whole of the team for IMSA Radio for 2015. Uh, all the hard work that's gone on behind the scenes both at and away from the tracks. I'm John Hindoff. Hope you've enjoyed this look back. Join us in 2016. This programme is a production of IMSA and Radio Show Limited. For more, visit RadioLeMond.com.